Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here and in association with my good friends at Preaching Today, Food for the Hungry. I bring you a podcast that hopefully helps you get better at the craft of teaching and preaching and communicating the good news while also ensuring that our character leads the way. Well, I am so excited about today. And, and honestly, I, I, I met my friend Jen um, just through Instagram. And that's, that's one of the powers of, of social media is you can, you can meet people and kind of, kind of almost, you know, stalk them, see what they're up to, what they're about. And, and then we, we just, hopped on a, a, a Zoom call, a man, a number of months ago. And I got to hear her story and what she's been working on and what she's been building. And um, man, I am just so, so excited to introduce you to my friend, uh, Jen Couch, from um, what she's all about was something that you need to follow. It's called Sober Sis. Um, we'll talk about that in a moment. But but also, um, before we jump in, I, I'm, here's, here's a little thing. I I always struggle with trying to talk about some of the stuff I'm working on. Um, and, but there's this weird piece, like sometimes you, you spend so much time working on something, um, you should give it the credit of the hours that you put into it and like tell people about it. And I just want you all to know, um, I am releasing a new book. It's called Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us. And it's really um, about the grief journey. I, I I didn't know how to grieve. I knew how to achieve, and I um I spent um after the fallout of Willow Creek in 2018. You know, my family and I we moved to the desert, and it was um, character school. It was it was learning how to grieve. It was it was learning um, how to confront um, some trauma and some pain, and and this in. Um, is my best attempt to, to help anyone who's lost something. Uh, we kind of really look at the the Holy Weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, it's it's typical my style of writing, um, narrative, story, Bible, um, mixed with a little bit of therapy, um, and hopefully it will be a beneficial read. So if you want to, you can go and check it out, stevecarter.org, and pick it up, pre-order it. Always is super helpful. But that's enough about what I'm doing. I am so, so excited about my friend, Jen Couch. And here's why I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you to meet her is because she taught me a new phrase. And I love the concept of sobriety being just even sober minded as the Bible talks about and, and being um, sober from stimulation as someone is, 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 is like who goes and works and, and loves to read and loves content, and loves in, information. But what Jen taught me, and it's so deeply connected to why I wanted to have this conversation launching the day before Lent kicks off is this phrase, sober, curious. And so without further ado, Jen Couch, who lives in Fort Worth, Texas, she's been married for 28 plus years. She's got two children in their twenties. Jen, welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Oh my gosh, Steve. Thank you so much. And yeah, yeehaw. I'm down here in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to me about, let's just jump right in because uh, Sober Sis, when we talked, you said it was born on Christmas Day, 2017. Like 
what sober sis, I like, you have all of these people who are following it. Talk about the kind of origin story of sober sis. You bet. You bet. Well, thanks again, Steve, for the opportunity. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited about your new book. I can't wait to read it. Uh, your writing and just your messaging is, is so relatable. And I think that's why you and I click so well is the relatability through just stories and being regular people with regular problems and struggles. And I think so often as as believers, as Christians, you know, we want to steer away from the mess, from the embarrassment of the of the challenge or the the things that can kind of hold us down. And we end up oftentimes missing the very message that God's going to use. I mean, it's a, a bit of a Christian cliche, if you will. You know, there's a message in your mess, but that's exactly right. And I am living proof of that, that um, some things that I've gone through that were a struggle have now become a bit of a superpower that God is using to draw people out of a place of feeling really stuck and confused and misunderstood to a place of clarity and freedom and really living fully alive, living awake, alert, aware, and more present in their own lives. And so, yeah, my journey, <laughs> my journey started from really a place of uh, healing and, and really coming out of a place of feeling uh, very alone and very isolated in this struggle I had with drinking. I couldn't really find anyone in the, at least in the Christian world, um, it's less secular world, who was talking about this middle ground, this concept of gray area drinking and being sober curious. Like you mentioned, I, I had always understood or been taught that there were kind of two ways of looking at any addictive substance. Either you were addicted or you weren't, you were an alcoholic or you're not, black or white, all or nothing. And what I was longing for was someone who could meet me where I was, which was definitely able to identify I had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, but was not physically addicted. I was getting stuff done. I didn't have a big rock bottom. Nothing happened. And so kind of living in that gray area was actually in some ways more painful because it was well, it was the thing beneath the thing, which is why your book resonated with me so much. So I think it's really interesting because we are kind of in this all or nothing, black or white, you know, like right or wrong, fair, unfair. But I think that that acknowledgement of that gray and and I really like the word relationship because, you know, some of us have um, an um, – an unhealthy relationship with our cell phones or with social media or with work or with achievement or with alcohol. Like there, the, that kind of level of sober curious, talk about how that phrase, um, because you, you've like really, um, when you talk about this, like people just come out of the the woodwork and just are like, me too, me too. Talk about kind of where that phrase sober curious came from. Yeah. Well, it started, the, the phrase sober curious started in, uh, I think around 2012, there was a book written by Ruby Warrington called Sober Curious. And I think that that really began this movement that by the time I was really aware of it, it had been going for three or four or five years. Cool. And it was starting to gain, gain traction 
because it was allowing more space for people to question their relationship with alcohol without having to wear a label, Mm. say forever, always, or never. Um, Because that's a pretty big jump when you're just kind of wrestling with it. You want to talk about it out loud. But if you do, then all of a sudden you find yourself in this new category and you're like, wait a minute. Whoa, I don't necessarily resonate with the category. And again, I think categories are ultimately very limiting. I think they box us in. And then if everything doesn't hit on that uh, definition of what's in that box, then it can lead to really feeling misunderstood. So to me, Sober Curious kind of opens the conversation for you to be able to question your relationship with alcohol or or like uh, many things, just be able to lean into it and go, wait a minute, let me start asking better questions. Not, is it bad enough? But is it actually good enough? Not, is my drinking so, so bad? Because every time I looked around at my book club or my girls' nights, you know, or even my husband and I's drinking together, which was totally an activity for us as a couple, um, if I looked around and did the comparison trap, I could always find somebody who is drinking more than me, had a bigger, you know, struggle than me. And so it would justify my own drinking. But when I started asking, wait a minute, is it good enough for you, Jen? Are you living to your full potential? Are you living aligned or are you living in a bit of a duplicity? That's what it was for me, Steve, was this double-mindedness, this duplicity. And there I was reading my first Peter 5, 8, be of sober mind, but yet I'm living double-minded. And the the pull, the mental tug of war and the cognitive dissonance I felt from being mindful, responsible girl by day to kind of wanting to check out, numb out, kind of have a reward at nighttime, me time. Um, left me feeling this dichotomy of like, oh my gosh, I feel split inside. I feel like two different people. How do you discuss that without having to, you know, say you're never drinking again or wear a label? I just, I really wanted a place to explore. And so the word curious, exploration, uh, question, dig in, um, really opened the door for me to look at my relationship with alcohol without having to feel so much judgment and shame, or having to decide what I wanted to do with it forever. I just wanted to take a break, pop the hood. You know, I always say you can get off the drinking highway at any time for any reason. Pop the hood, you know, pull over to a rest stop, pop the hood, look in, find out what's really going on. And then you can choose if you want to get back on the drinking highway or not. It's the pulling over. It's the getting off that is the most critical. And I think that's the most intimidating for people if they feel like it's all or nothing. Yeah. No, I think it's I think it's interesting because the the way at which you talk about this, and and again, this is why I really wanted you on this podcast, is because I, you know, you're not preaching every weekend, you're not a pastor, but you are pastoring a lot of people. So it's like it it's it's through this sober cis movement. But you represent to me someone who sits in the pew at the church, who on the outside, you and her husband, you got it all together, married almost 30 years, got kids, empty nesters. And inside there, you're using this word 
duplicitous, but I'm sure like you're there, you're, you're present, you're managing, like you can, you can, and, and I started to think, gosh, the first time that we taught, how many gen couches are there in the churches that I preach at that are struggling to pull over? And that's what really what I feel like you have done is given people an invitation to really just, hey, let's let's just let's just look at it. You know, like let's almost like outside of you, let's just let's just kind of stand outside it, let's look at it and let's let's observe it with no shame, no shade, but just real curiosity of is this the best thing for me? And I just I think that's a was really, really beautiful. From a preacher, like speak to the preachers right now, because what did you need to hear that you didn't hear? Or what did you wish that you heard? Um, or maybe you you did hear and it was a helpful part of the journey. But but as this podcast is for preachers, I just imagine the, the amount of gen couches in our services how do we help them really look under the hood? Oh my gosh, Steve, this is such a great opportunity because I did sit there in the church pew and I did sit there and think, first off, I wish I could really be seen um, and, and not be seen for struggling with alcohol. That would limit who I am. Right. I wish that that I could be seen holistically and that really alcohol is not, quote, my problem. It's really my mindset, my thinking, my coping strategies, my anxiety, my fears, my my habits. It's all of it. And I was so sitting there, literally, I can't tell you how many Sunday mornings I, I was there, even sometimes, you know, slightly hungover, just foggy brain, you know, feeling really a lot of shame. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, can anybody see me? And I think being seen would have felt like, uh, first off, normalizing uh, struggles with somewhat taboo, stigmatized, stereotyped issues. And for whatever reason, alcohol is a big one in the church, obviously, because it's one of those gray areas, even in the Bible. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a West Texas small town with parents that didn't drink. And uh, they did that for their own cautionary tale reasons. Um, their parents um, really kind of showed them the, the darker side, if you will, of, of alcohol. And so my parents had made a different choice. And I was the benefactor of parents that alcohol was not a big deal in our home. In fact, the three kind of rules, if you will, that I learned as a good Christian girl, the Enneagram one, good Christian girl in a small conservative Bible Belt town was don't drink if you're not 21. Don't drink to get drunk. We know that's a sin, right? Bible's like, don't drink to get drunk. And uh, don't drink and drive. Okay, got it. Well, you know what? That really worked for me when I was younger. I'm by nature a rule follower. I'm responsible, which was, again, part of the buildup to why I needed the wine o'clock. It was, it was all the very things that, that helped me be really um, thriving as a young person did not serve me as someone in my 30s married for a decade with kids on the ground. What worked for me at 21 wasn't working for me anymore at 31. 
And so at 21, I was like, okay, I got it, got the rules. In fact, I was in a sorority at my state school and was president my senior year and was a non-drinker my whole college experience. Wow. Didn't drink in my 20s because uh, I was actually on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ full-time for three years. So I was in ministry in my 20s. And so drinking, and again, rewind 20 years ago, I'm totally dating myself right now. But 20 years ago, the drinking culture was very different in the world and in Christian circles. It was not as accepted that you would see maybe alcohol in a Bible study or that the dudes would get together and throw back a few IPAs and the women would have wine at a, at a social gathering through a church gathering. So that was not happening 20 years ago, at least not where I was. <laughs> and again, I'm a Texan and, was, you know, I know where I am. But um, and so the quote rules that I learned as uh, as a Christ follower young didn't equip me for the complexities of being now a married mom and working. <laughs> Hello, I'm over 21 when I'm in my young 30s. I'm not drinking to get drunk. I'm just trying to take the edge off like I've been taught to do in the movies and in the commercials. I'm just trying to kind of get in line with what I'm seeing happening around me is very socially acceptable. But I had that little voice inside going, it's socially acceptable, but I've I've done a lot of things in my life that didn't beat to the everyone's doing it drum. But everyone was starting to kind of have that glass of wine when they're cooking dinner. What's the big deal? You know, when in Rome, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, this is what this is what people are doing. And so I really bought into this mommy wine juice culture, which is a whole phenomenon as well, which is kind of mommy's little helper. There I was with maybe a four and five-year-old um, had not brought drinking in. So I didn't really feel like I had the tools to navigate those years. I had the tools to navigate the the follow the law, the all or nothing Um I didn't have the the tools. And when I looked around at my Bible studies that I was involved in or curriculum, I even did Beth Moore's Breaking Free Bible study before I was a drinker. And I remember reading her Bible study, which is so awesome in this area. She's not talking about alcohol specifically, but I remember doing Breaking Free and thinking, I don't have anything to break free from. I'm so fortunate. I don't have to break free. I mean, I have little things to break free from, you know, worry, but like, I didn't have a thing thing. Yeah. Oh, I got a thing. I got a thing that I needed to break free from. Um, And it's like, I used, I, I did all the right Bible studies and all the things, but then once I needed it, I couldn't find things that were keeping up with the times of being sober curious and wrestling with this out loud. It was like, well, I'm sitting in the church pew going, wow, I am really, and again, that, that voice inside morally flawed, broken. And why can't I get it together? That's, I think that's what kept going on in my mind. I can get it together in so many other areas. I can work out. I can eat right. I can do everything good by day. Uh, But when that five o'clock rolls around, It's like my willpower's gone, and I didn't realize how much I was using it until I fatigued it. And then I realized, I don't think I have the the tools right now. And so a lot of what I do in SoberSys is talk about the thing beneath the thing and give the tools to navigate the habit of wine o'clock or the sober-minded journey because I feel like 
just don't drink or just drink less isn't going to work anymore. We've got to have some really practical tools. You go with the science about alcohol. Yeah. Too. I didn't know that either. Like I, I did not know any science about the substance of alcohol. That's why I put all the blame on myself versus the substance as well. That's so good. You know, I think that's a really beautiful and just um, there's so much like weight in what you're talking about because, you know, I think that they're, you know, for, for us as preachers, you know, we're, we're trying to, you really want to speak to the problem, to the ache that people are, are, are facing. And I think we have a lot of people in our congregations who have counterfeit gods in Tim Keller language. They, they have something that they are using to make them feel okay. I love what John Orberg says, a uh, mentor of mine. He, he, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's, you, you'll get the point. He's like, a, a glass of bourbon will give you a fleeting sense of peace It'll just never make you a person of peace, right? And so, so taking that edge off, I, I, I'm using this for insta peace, you know, insta okayness, insta like take the edge off. And we all have that, you know. You, you can, you can, you know, we we just we all have those areas. But how to get curious of it and how to speak to it? Because if we're not speaking to it. I think what ends up happening for the congregant, for the parishioner is shame or what the, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get this together? I, I, ah. Or comparison, like you talked about earlier, like it's not like over here, it's got a problem. I'm better. But I think what's so powerful is how we can really almost like look at it, but then begin to have a reset. And I think it, one of the, the things that I've really, really appreciated about the work that you have done is the invitation to a reset. And I, I think some of the beauty of Lent is really the opportunity for 40 plus days um, to really look under the hood, to really detach from something that you're using to feel okay, to kind of own embody the spiritual dying to self to prepare you for Easter. And, and it really is an invitation to a reset. Um, talk about, because you, it, it's a 21-day reset, if I, if I recall. Talk about that. Yes, that's right. And I love the word reset. Like you said, it's just, sometimes that's what we need. We need to step back away from something that's that's confusing to us or causing us just all this turmoil inside and tease it out and just kind of undo it a little bit through space and time and then be able to see it more clearly. I loved what you said earlier where you're like just setting it aside so you can actually look at it and look at you separate instead of so mingled in where it's like, oh my gosh, is it the drinking? Is it me? Is it the anxiety? It's like, which can burst the chicken or the egg? Do I have anxiety because I'm drinking? Am I drinking because I'm anxious? Guess what? If you take a break, you can actually see a lot of these things more clearly. And so I love that what you're talking about is this idea of clarity and dying to self. I think that is huge because you mentioned it. I've written several posts about this and in my book as well. When we when we drink or go for anything that gives us that instant peace, I love that. 
what we're really doing is we're settling for temporary relief when really what we want is rest. Yeah. I can tell you in those years as a mom with, with kids really five through 15, I mean, it's like game on really through 18, but, um, I was just, I was just, I was just keeping my head above water until I could get to quote wine o'clock, five o'clock, because that was acceptable. That was appropriate to then, okay, now it's fine. Um, And so I was building up needing that relief. And when you get to that point and you still do need relief, I'm all for it. I'm all for, for people doing healthy things that bring them real relief, but there's something so much better than temporary relief or a 20 minute, 30 minute buzz that you're chasing all night long, which is unattainable. It's like chasing the wind. (laughs) Get it. Yeah. Versus going, wow, if I just sit in it for a minute, the feeling of, well, the feeling, whatever it may be and lean into it a little bit more. Um, I think support to do that is critical. So you have connection not just alone, but you've got other people who are leaning into their feelings as well and making a different choice has been a huge game changer because now that's a huge part of taking a break or hitting this reset button is being able to not just take these little dopamine hits of relief, but really building a lifestyle where you're at rest and at peace. And then you find that you're less inclined to hit that eject button, I call it. Yes. The eject button when you're like, okay, I'm responsible. Okay, I'm loving. Okay, I'm serving. Okay, I'm doing all the right things. And I'm empathetic. And I'm like super wife, super mom, super friend, super daughter. Can't be super anymore. Where is the eject button? And before you get to that point, you know, just the practicing self-care, real self-care, not just thinking it's a glass of wine or a pedicure, but the real self-care can only come through taking the break because you can't just take alcohol or any addictive substance or any habit out and leave a void. You have to decide what you're going to put in there instead. And oftentimes for me, when I really looked into my relationship with drinking, it was uh, oftentimes, Lord, here I am. Instead of me praying on my back patio with a glass of Cabernet in my hand, God, take it away. Take it away while I'm drinking. Yeah. Even maybe listening to praise music, Steve. I mean, this was me. This is, I am like, like the avatar of the Christian mom that struggled with drinking because I could literally be on my back porch listening to praise and worship music, praying to God and also going, but Jesus drank wine. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I love it and I hate it. I want it and I don't want it. It's giving to me something right now because it's making me feel good in the moment. And all that anxiety and all that stress and all that sadness, whoo, it's going away. But so is my joy. So is my resilience because you can't selectively numb. I mean, that's a Brene Brown quote right there. You cannot selectively numb. And so I was numbing it all. And so it felt good when I was letting go of the sadness, boredom, grief, all the things, but I was also losing my edge. I was trying to take the edge off and literally losing my edge. And so what I started doing once I did set it aside, and that's the heart issue behind it. That's getting to the heart of it and focusing less on behavior modification or alcohol itself. It's not really the problem. It's just a poor solution to the problem. Yeah. And in the problem, maybe is it even that big of a problem? Maybe it really is an opportunity to lean in because I can 
I can honestly tell you, I'm so grateful. I would say this. I'm so grateful for my relationship and my struggle with alcohol because it's given me so much more of the dependence and a depth with the Lord that I just wouldn't have had without that struggle. And so I'm grateful for it, but I had to partner with God about it instead of holding on so tightly to my wine glass stem, you know, saying, take it away. I had to let go, hit the reset button, take a break, let go. And then once I let go, I realized both of my hands were open and then I could receive, Hey, wait a minute. We can do this together. You're not going to miraculously just come take my desire for that feeling away. It's now hardwired in my brain. I've now trained my brain to want that. We're going to have to work on this together. It's going to take mind, body, science, spirit, everything. It's going to take a lot, but we can do it. That's so good. I, I, you know, the, the ancient Jewish kind of prayer that is the, the bedrock of what they believe is known as the Shema, you know, Shema Re'el, you're Israel, the Lord's God, the Lord is one. And then love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your body and all your soul. And I think, I think what you're really, and why it resonates so much with what you're talking about is at the core of who we are is a living soul. And the soul is the healthy integration of the mind, the heart, and the body. The soul integrates and sin disintegrates. The sin, sin and the enemy want to disintegrate the heart from the mind, from the body. And so, so in that disintegration, we often look for something that we think can integrate, take the edge off, Instead of learning how to kind of sit with what is, what am I really feeling right now? And when I think about, you know, 20 years ago, you know, I, I turned 21. I mean, they went there. It was just kind of at the beginning of what I felt like was kind of like the, the, the third wave of microbrews, you know, it's almost like third wave coffee, third wave, like when it came to you know, beer and microbreweries and these kind of like upstart little companies. You Then you have like the Mad Men kind of phenomena and like old fashions and, and cocktails and the resurgence of that. Also, like I think like the wine culture that you were talking and, and you know, you'd walk into Target and it was like wine o'clock. It was like, it became this like acceptable piece that you just kind of saw. And I think what, we have not done really well is actually when I put the glass down, I love how you talked about that. Like what comes up and when, when what comes up, what do I actually do with that? Those feelings that, that struggle. So like, that's one piece, but then the other side of it is sometimes I look at that, what comes up and I, it's insta shame. Like I feel all of these feelings and then I don't know how to sit with it or partner with, with God like you talk about. But here's the piece that you do really, really well that I think we don't actually do as well in the church from a preaching standpoint. You are able to help people see the feeling, not shame, but curious. And at the same time, look alive, sis. Look, look at the good of and compare those two, foggy brain, alive, 
centered, grounded, tired, using something else for the hit, actually two hands wide open here, present. Like, and I think that is a different piece. One, it's the acknowledgement of the disintegration and what's the feeling, but also the vision of who we can be. And, and you, I, you have these, and I, one, because I love language and I love phrases. You have this phrase from detox to retox. And I just, I think it's like that, that cycle, that piece. But um, I think for many people who might be listening to us, pastor who um, might be just preaching great messages, but maybe is looking to take the edge off a little too much. Talk about how to handle that feeling and also talk about that look alive, the vision. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, <laughs> I did come out with a book in April of 2023 called Look Alive, Sis. And when, you know, you, you know this because you've written books and you've, you've titled them. And uh, the, the publisher I worked with and, and just my literary agent was like, well, what do we name it? What are some of your go-to phrases? And it came up to me that I say that all the time, guys, look alive, look alive, sis, like be awake, alert, aware. And so it's this idea of like, wake up, sleeper, wake up, oh, sleeper, you know, we are falling asleep in our own lives in so many areas. And there's so many ways to do that now, like you've mentioned, um, that this looking alive is more about what, what's pulling us forward. You know, I think you can only do so much change with the negative pushing you. I should, I ought to, I should, I should. That's what a good Christian girl would do. That's what a good pastor would do. That's that's what a good believer looks like. So I should do that. That's pushing. And that's not going to do it past a certain point. It's got to be the pull. What's pulling me forward? What must I do? Not ought to do. I must. I must do this. I've got to break free from this habit that is keeping me down. What does that look like? I don't know. It's different for everybody. And that's what's so beautiful is this is this is an invitation to go, well, what does that really look like for you? You know, that detox to retox loop that, that you mentioned, man, that can be uh, every day. That can be like, I'm doing all the, you know, hot yoga to sweat it out and juicing all the kale in the world. But then I'm going to have a bottle of Pinot Grigio that night. That is a detox to retox loop. It can also be cyclical weekly. A lot of people are like, I'm going to be good. And that's in air quotes, good during the week, Monday through Thursday, reel it in, and then kind of have a blowout on the weekend or on a vacation. Well, that's a detox to retox loop. It's the same thing. Or some people can, can even take a break or do a whole 30 detox to retox loop. How do you celebrate not drinking for a month or a year? By drinking. No, because I've done it multiple times. And it's that same loop. And what if you could break out of that and feel more empowered? You've got to have something pulling you forward that's positive, not running from just something negative. That's so beautiful. I mean, and that's that's it. And, you know, and I think the power of the will, you know, you you can you can stop drinking, you know, to detox to retox like for 30 days or even for Lent. You know, you can totally. you can stop with will. But the underlying issues 
often you will just maybe move that same addictive pattern to work or to gambling or to some other. And and again, I think what you just do so wonderfully is how you invite the curiosity just to just to look at it, just to hold it before you. Let's just consent to reality and let's just see what it is and how we're using it. And is there is there a better way? Um, I, you know, when we talked, I was like, why aren't you doing more like sermons? Like why, you know, you've got this Campus Crusade background, which I love. You, you've got this like heart for the church. You've got this heart for, you know, and, and I was like, are you like ever talking at like, women's conferences or Sunday mornings or midweek services. And you had mentioned just a couple. And I was like, I just think that there is a, obviously a resonance online, but I feel like there is a resonance where to your, to your point, you know, we have, we have really pushed people in the shoulds and not to do and, and, and the fear but we've never like really actually helped them handle the cognitive dissonance and the the feelings and the the weightiness in a beautiful biblical perspective. And I think you just do that. Talk about that. Is is that something you even want to do? Is that open? Or are you kind of like, no, no, no. I am I am in the virtual space. I like Instagram. I never want to leave Fort Worth. It is you know Texas forever? Friday Night Lights, like it, or <laughs> or are you kind of someone who's like, yeah, like I I I love communicating about this and talking about it, and meeting people. Is that is that something you like to do in person? Absolutely. In fact, that's really my heart's desire. God has has been, I think, preparing me. I've been doing services full time virtually um, for five years. And then alcohol-free just as a lifestyle choice for me for almost seven. So for me, the language, I've learned what resonates after being on so many Zoom calls. And, you know, I feel like getting in a room, though, with women where you can see their eyes up close, you can feel them sitting in the audience like I do feel on a Zoom call or on a, you know, Facebook Live or an Instagram. I I can't feel it there as well, but I get the feedback that is there. only imagine what it would be like to be in a room where people are literally sitting there at a, at a women's conference or in the pew going, Oh my gosh, she's written my mail. How did she know? And I want to be that person that I wished I could have seen. I would have so loved to have someone be as raw, real, and yet normal and fun. And like, kind of almost paint this picture of like you could struggle with wine o'clock and, and not have this image of, I don't know what people <laughs> imagine, but we have such that stereotype and stigma of alcohol use and abuse um, that I just think for those gray area drinkers, which are, you know, the majority of, of people, I mean, look at it like a bell curve. I mean, it's, it's, I would say the majority of people that are drinking at all are probably somewhere in that middle ground because that's, that's how it goes. So I would absolutely love the opportunity to connect with women. I do feel like God has prepared me and given me the skill set for this very reason. I mean, here I am, 52. I started this when I was 47. And I would have never dreamed in a million years that I would be talking publicly 
about this, much less going into a church environment. But that's exactly where it's needed most and where I feel like not only is there mom guilt and mom shame, that's a real thing, but you double down and you put the Christian mom guilt on there. And then you add in the taboo topic sometimes of alcohol, which a lot of pastors, I get it, don't want to touch with a 10-foot bowl because they don't want to be legalist. Yeah. Or they may be struggling themselves, so they don't want to be hypocritical. So you've got all, it's just complicated. And I'm here to say it doesn't have to be. I think we can simplify it. And if it's a real person talking about real life, they can connect with real people. Yeah. And that's, that's what I am excited about. I think it's, I think it's really, really um, incredible. It reminds me of a conversation I had um, with uh, my, my friend, um, AJ, who uh, is a pastor out in uh, South Carolina, and we were talking about, you know, some of the consent to reality um, when it came to alcohol for him. And for him, like one Lenten journey, he just kind of say, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast from this and, and, and be really aware of like what comes up and what he came back to realize was, gosh, like, I can't, if I'm going to drink again, I can't drink past 7 p.m. It affects my sleep. Um, may, it just, like, it makes me foggy the next morning. It just, and and he said, I don't, I don't need it. I don't have this attachment to it, but I also have to have, like, some clear boundaries in a healthy way. And I think he just said it in such a normal way, like, yeah, just, I just for me, that's um, if I'm gonna, you know, look alive, sis. sis if I'm gonna be, if I'm gonna have that, I actually have to create some internal boundaries because I do have agency, I do have control. And I again, I think for many of us, when you you talk about that with the mom guilt and the Christian mom guilt, um, you don't think we've given people the agency and the tools. And the the ways at which to walk this out well um, that doesn't feel legalistic, but actually just feels healthy to my true formation, soul care, soul formation. And again, this is why I think, man, maybe for some of you listening, I know there's so many um, incredible um, pastors listening to this. This might just be an amazing conversation. Um, Actually, you can just see how easy Jen is just to to relate to. It might just even bring bring her in and have a have a conversation, and maybe she stays for a Sunday night gathering or a Monday night gathering. I, I just think um, this message is something that could be really, really impactful. Um, Jen, I want to I want to end with this, and and just I mean, um, I I think it's so fascinating that. Christmas Day, 2017. You kind of have this like awakening. Um, you begin this, and you know, alcohol sales had like were jumping, uh, but they had kind of hit a little bit of a plateau. I think many people will talk about this. 2017, 2018, 2019. You've set this thing up online, and then COVID happens, and alcohol business booms to a level that we have never seen before. Um, wine sales, um, like hard liquor sales, alcohol sales, like beer, like, and all of a sudden you, 
it's like God like perfectly positioned you before you could ever even see what this might be. And you had this message and you had done this work that transformation had actually now began to meet people where they're at and people have just been so attracted to it. Take take the whole journey out and the, the sober cis thing out. One thought is, I'm just so grateful you did it. I'm so grateful like you went through this process just because of how many people you've been able to help. But secondly, do you ever just have a moment where you step back and you go like, how did we get here? Like, how did this, like, gosh, if I didn't start that first blog and I didn't set that site up and I didn't, it's just, it's it's a testament to the mess message that you were talking about to the redemptive power of what God does. Do you ever just have moments where you just look at that? Because I just imagine there's so many people who have their own stories that are at their own personal December of 2017 moment, but they there's so much shame or fear that they're like, ah, nobody's nobody's gonna care about this. How did you break through that to to do it? And now looking back in the last six, seven years, what do you feel? Great question, Steve, because I do sometimes it it is so surreal and humbling. Because I'm, I'm nobody special. I am the girl next door. I really literally am. And, um, but God had a calling on my life. He had a special assignment for me. And um, I'm so thankful that he gave me the courage just to say yes and just be willing. I mean, listen, when I started SoberSys.com, I mean, I didn't even know what a URL was. Fortunately, God partnered me here on earth. Not only am I partnering with him, but he gave me the right partner for me in many ways, not only the family we've created and the life we've created together. I just think it's so, I just want to give my husband a brief back and shout out. In fact, it's kind of getting me right now. there, um, Because I just see God's hand in my life, even how we met, set up on a blind date at Texas Tech all those years ago. How, yes, at times it's a real challenge working with your spouse. Uh, obviously, you know, there's a lot of relational challenges that that probably even tied into some of why I was drinking that involved my marriage. However, God definitely uh, put this man in my life to help me. And it's really cool because I can see how he's always been ahead of me with something that I need for what I'm doing, for my business, for my calling, for this assignment. He's gone ahead and produced, you know, like a YouTube channel or learned how to do this or that skill. And he's like, why do I need to know this? I don't really need to know this. Wait, Jen, you need to know this, but I can help you do it. And so I would say that um, when I told him on that beloved Christmas night, um, I just made it through my first round of holidays. I'd stopped drinking that April and just made it through like everything, you know, every birthday, wedding, uh, anniversary, all the, you know, October to December, which is like kind of the three-month drink fest of like, kick it off with Halloween, get it in your Yeti, you know, head around the block to kind of ending on New Year's. I quote, made it through, but I wasn't just, thri- wasn't just surviving. I was thriving. And that's when we were sitting in front of the fireplace. And I told my husband, babe, I wish every woman just like me 
knew what I knew, because if they knew what I knew, they may want to make a different choice. I felt so empowered. It was like spilling out of me. It was overflow. And he goes, Jen, he goes, I would love to help you make your voice louder. Mm-hmm. I'm like, awesome, dude. What does that mean? You don't even know. At this point, I'm a stay-at-home mom with an 18 and 16-year-old. I've done some network marketing, home-based businesses. I've been an ex-retailer, but like, I don't, I don't know anything about the virtual space. I don't. I'm not a techie. Um, I'm like, what? What does that mean? He's like, well, we need to name it. I'm like, okay, well, let's do everything that doesn't have the word sober or alcohol in it, <laughs> because that was like, whoa, shame storm. But I thought, well, if I name it, you know, something like, you know, girls of freedom, ladies of freedom people are not going to know what I'm talking about. Right. I got to go in. I got to go all in and I've got to lay down any pride, any shame. And they kind of go hand in hand a lot of times. And I had to just go, you know what? They're not going to know what I'm talking about if I don't get some key word in there. So I wanted to name it sober minded sisters in Christ. Well, that's <laughs> neat and all, but like, that's not going to work for a website. Certainly not going to work on Instagram. Yeah. And I also didn't want to limit it my my community to just Christian women or just women of faith. Because what I have found, Stephen, this is so exciting, is that I'm also attracting spiritually curious women. Mm. Because of the language and because I really lean into my genuine, authentic faith, but not in a at-you way, I have a Bible verse, I have scripture in every day of my 21-day reset. And some women are like, oh, I didn't know that you were a Christian or you know, which is good, I guess. I mean, I'd like to lean into that more. I think that that's kind of a, I guess you could say, kind of a niche within this conversation because there's so few Christian women talking about it. But um, I guess I didn't want to lead off with that because that that it, it doesn't really matter whether you're a believer or not if this is your issue. And so we shortened it to, well, sober-minded. Okay, that's good. But what about sober sis? Mm. We literally started it there. And I think by not limiting it to certain other keywords, it allowed it to be really open. And so many women have either come to faith or renewed their faith in services once they got the alcohol to be smaller in their life. Their faith journey got bigger because it was wow. safe to talk about it at the same time versus so compartmentalized. Like I can talk about that over there and I can talk about that over there. What if we talk about it all together because we're holistic beings, mind, body, and spirit, you know, in the Christian world, are we talking about the science in that? I don't think so. In the science world, are we talking about the faith, heart, invisible enough? I don't think so. So I'm trying to bring it all in together and yet, if someone, you know, takes my reset, if a, if a woman signs up and she could be agnostic, she could be atheist, she could be uh, traumatized from her religious background. Um, I'm just like, hey, man, take what you need, leave the rest, eat the meat, spit out the bone. If, if I'm not resonating with you 100%, that's normal. I mean, yeah. Yeah. that's okay. Take Take it. And so there's that opportunity there to allow space. And like you said, uh, God's timing. So I started Sobersys in kind of the idea in 2017. It really took off the beginning of 2019. So all of 2019, women are doing this 21-day reset challenge. At that point, thousands now have gone through. And then they were all coming to me going, well, Jen, now what do we do? Like, 
we're, we did your reset. We feel better. We were just really beginning to uncover top of the hood, what's in there. And so God, again, led me spirit led based on need of what the women needed to write a 10 week online course called AFL, the alcohol free lifestyle course. Mm. Almost 3000 women have done that course since the beginning of 2020. And it came right at the right time when women were just stuck at home, locked down on their computers and had the time and space and bandwidth to choose to have a margarita delivered to their door with a straw or do something like an online course to drink less or not at all and make it a lifestyle. (laughs) So I'm glad that the two options were, were really clear during that time. And again, total God thing, total download. I call it a download. Mm-hmm. I wrote that course in four months and it was a complete download. And we talk about things like self-care, boundaries, gratitude. Um, I've brought in, you know, some of my favorite um, authors and work, Dr. You know, John Townsend and Allison Cook and just oh, Beth McCord with the Enneagram. So many of these wonderful people who I've learned so much from. It's been awesome to be able to learn from them and then kind of package it in my own experience, talking to someone who's walked the exact same road that I've been on. So it's, it's really been fun. Well, it's just, it's, it's fun for me to see that. And I just, I think for any of you listening, you know, I think the download, that's a great, that's a great way to say it. Like God, God um, wants and does um, give us downloads. And I, I don't know if this happens on your computer, I can't stand it. You know, it feels like every couple of weeks, um, this little thing pops up, a little window and just says install now or install yeah. later. And I'm always like, install later, install later, install later. Uh, and I got time for this. And then sometimes like Zoom's like, we're going to do an entirely new reboot. I'm like, I don't have a choice. They just make me do it. Um, but I think for some of us right now, there's some places where we've been saying install later, install later, install later and God's trying to download a gift, not just for you, but a gift um, that is really going to bless so many others. It might, it might be a church plant. It might be a book. It might be um, just doing something that is, comes from your story and your brokenness and the way at which Jen has been able to at, you know, really 47 years old the last five years to see how God has really blessed uh, the work and the story. Um, I just hope that's super encouraging. Um, Friends, please go to SoberSys.com. Check out the 21 Day Reset Challenge. Um, You can also see the new book at LookAliveSys.com. It's it's awesome. Um, And I I really, really would encourage you – Maybe send this podcast if you've got a women's pastor, ministry leader, like who's running that. I think this conversation will speak to the ache that so many are facing. But also, I I really believe that Jen's got a message that for a for a weekend, uh, for an interview, that could really um, be a true blessing. So, Jen, thanks so much for joining us on the Craft and Character Podcast, and and friends, please. Um, Share this podcast. Maybe, maybe you know someone in your life who um, this this might actually really resonate um, with their story, what they're walking through. And um, please, um, just 
when you guys ever leave a review, I mean, that just that just means so much. We read those. Or if I can ever serve you, my email is just steve at steveryancarter.com. Truly so grateful for you all. And um, I hope in this Lenten season, um, you would have those moments to be sober curious. Whatever it is that you are just leaning towards using for that insta piece, maybe you just find um, that God has something more and that something more will help you really look alive in the coming months ahead. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. We'll see you in two weeks.